and gentlemen, as part of the Jeremiah Show, welcome to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Now here's the host of the show, a man who in 1996 made the bold prediction that Fox News was never going to work. It's TV's Tim Stack. Yay! Me again, again, again. Again, the world can't get enough. Welcome to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. This is show number 2038. Close. I'm sorry. It says just 38. I misread that. <laughs> That's the year. <laughs> it is, oh, God. I Absolutely. If it was 2038, I'd say, yeah, of course it is. Uh, I'm going to – that was my guest you heard. I'll introduce him in a second. Although, please feel free to jump in. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Tom Straw, old friend, great writer. Um, but uh, when I was promoting the show uh, Nightstand, they and he, you know when you're promoting something, and Tom, you know from promoting books, it's like you go somewhere, they tell you where to go, you promote it. You don't care. It's going to sell a book. What do you care? In this case, it was to get people to watch the show Nightstand with Dick Dietrich. So they say, okay, Tim, uh, you're going to be in New York. You're doing this. Uh, I want you to, there's this new thing called Fox News, and we <laughs> want you to go there. And I said, okay, I'll go anywhere. I don't care. And you're going to be, uh, uh, Bill O'Reilly is going to be interviewing you. And I said, Bill O'Reilly? And they said, yeah, you know, he's on a current affair. Oh, yeah. And I said, no, I kind of know a current affair. I think I've seen ads for it. So I, I go, and I go to uh, Fox News, and O'Reilly's there. First of all, he's very tall. He's taller than I am, and I'm 6'4". And, and I, oh, yeah, you're the guy from Current Affair. And, you know, I'm just trying to have a good time and laugh and have a good time. And he's very serious. And it gets even more so. He gets me on the air. And the whole thing is Nightstand was a spoof of daytime talk shows at the time. And O'Reilly goes, this guest, uh, this next guest, he thinks he can shut down daytime talk shows by making fun of them. <laughs> well, we're going to find out what kind of an idiot this guy is. You know, it's just like... Why did I do this show? Why am I here? And you're in. And also back then, O'Reilly was. It was like in a closet. The interview took place in a closet. It was half the size of this radio studio, and I'm three feet from him. And he's pointing figures, trying to create controversy. I. It was just like there's no controversy. So I finish the show. I thank him, and I go. I walk out on Sixth Avenue, where Fox News is, and I look back, and it says Fox News big letters and i just look back and i said to myself well this is never going to work <laughs> and boy was i wrong that's great uh yeah just, i have i have two similar stories if i if, if i can jump in and match do you mind no i'll hold my intro of you till later oh no go ahead that'd be stupid if, if let's you, do you, the no, intro no let's do the intro and then we'll hear the, your story was a little bit from the TV show Parker Lewis, which is going to lead to my intro. My guest is Tom Straw. He published his first mystery novel, The Trigger Episode, in 2007. Very good book. We'll talk about that. Subsequently, as Richard Castle, which is, that's a whole story. We're going to send a whole segment on Tom masquerading as Richard Castle, writing the Nikki Heat books, 
that were on the TV show Castle. It's really crazy. He had to like hide out from people for years. We're going to talk about that. He's also an Emmy-winning and Writers Guild uh, nominated TV writer, producer, having written for Night Court, Parker Lewis Can't Lose. There you go. Dave's World. That's Anyway, Parker Lewis, we'll talk about that. But uh, Grace Under Fire, Cosby, Whoopi, and Nurse Jackie, uh, a member of the National Board of Mystery Writers. And it's this whole career that's just insane because he's successful in all of them. Anyway, he lives in Connecticut where his home is his castle. That's a clue to what I mentioned earlier. Richard Castle. I caught that, Tom. Oh, anyway, yes. Please welcome Tom Straw. Hello, studio audience. <laughs> and those listening far and wide. <laughs> uh, Tom, welcome. It's always great to see you. Um, you know what, Tim? It's always a pleasure to see you. My my longtime good friend. Yes. And uh, yeah, we've we've worked together and we've watched each other do crazy different things. My career isn't as diverse as Tom's career, uh, but let's we'll get to your career. If you have a Fox News story. Off well, that. first of all, calling my career diverse is a polite way of saying I can't keep a job <laughs> That's I, i'm gonna i'm gonna disagree with that but keep going okay i have i have um let's see i one story i have is that when i was at the inaugural the premiere taping of uh nightstand with dick dietrich yes seated in the front row with lynn stewart uh, another good friend of yours <laughs> yes and uh i knew the producer of the show from somebody i had worked with at warner brothers when i was at night court of a guy named larry little you remember that larry name? little and also i believe larry strother who you had worked with at night court right but um when we were backstage larry and i were kind of catching up because we hadn't seen each other in a while and he says yeah we have a lot of high hopes for this D dick dietrich uh, show with tim he's great he says i have another thing i'm working on uh it's a um it's a daytime show for judges Yes. and it's, it's it's got judge judy as the host and he explained what the show would be and he walked away and i turned to lynn and i said that is never gonna work <laughs> <laughs> it's truly i thought how the who who's gonna watch that you yeah. know who wants to see all that yes you know it's like i i credit tom for a lot of success in my life starting with parker lewis can't lose and larry little will credit me for judge judy because he had no desire to get into the world of syndication. And that's Nightstand with Dick Dietrich started out in syndication. That's what introduced him to it. And his only, he made a ton, I mean, he's made a ton of money. It's still, I guess it's done now, Judge Judy. She moved over to Freebie. But again, that's, you know, it's just like, yeah, that's never going to work. What do you know? So You want to hear one more story? Sure. Because uh, we got a full hour. Yes, we do. Almost. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> Um, a buddy of mine who was a radio, when I was at radio, he was a radio consultant and we became friends. And um, it was during the 1988 Writers Guild strike. And I was going to go visit him in Reno, Nevada, where he lived. So close, you can see sparks, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and I was leaving to go up to Reno from L.A. And he said, hey, uh, bring a sport coat because we're going to go to the MGM Grand Sinatra is going to be singing there and a buddy of mine from a radio station in sacramento got tickets wow and we're going to sit with him at his at his table so we get there and uh we we go in and i look and i see this guy looks like a radio station general manager he doesn't look like a a, a talk guy and um he says uh, tom this is a rush limbaugh oh boy 
He's and never going to work either. <laughs> he was he was doing like afternoons in in Sacramento. Wow. And so Bruce told me all about him. We watched the Sinatra show. We went up to Rush had a suite. We went up and had dinner after the show and all that. And so the next day, I'm uh, we were driving to go camping near um, somewhere in the woods, which is a good place to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> we passed through Sacramento, and he turns in on Rush, and I listen, and I listen, and I listen. And I, I said to my friend, I said, who's going to listen to that? Yeah, there you go. What judges <laughs> of talent we are. Yes, I know. It's unbelievable. It's true, both of those are very true stories. So, Tom, I, I really, uh, you know, you have done so many things and you've done them successfully. It's a crazy journey. So, Tom and I met. I want to hear your take on how we met. And then <laughs> we'll see if they line up. So, you go okay. first. Okay. Um, well, I, I knew you from your TV work. Okay. Before we met, I had seen you on numerous shows and various like guest spots and, and miniseries and so forth. And I always thought you were funny and talented and all that stuff. And my then wife, yes, he says, well, I went to college with uh, Tim. I said, oh, you did? Yeah, we went to BC together. Yeah, and I'm wearing the BC hat in your I can see that. Yeah. It's a good prompt for the story, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, cut to a, a year or so later, um, I was working on a show that uh, Ken Levine and David Isaacs had created for Mary Tyler Moore. It was her return to sitcom called The Mary Show. Yes. And we were casting for the pilot. Uh, and here was the room. The room was Ken Levine, David Isaacs. I was there. And Danny DeVito, if you may recall, who was directing the pilot. He was in the room, too. I don't remember him. He was too small. I didn't see him. Yeah. You're, so... Uh, Molly Lapata, our casting director, I says, and our next uh, our next uh, person who is uh, going to be reading for us is Tim Stack. And I thought I looked at my pages. Oh, that's T that's Tim Stack. Yeah. Hey, and you come in and you're all set to go. Yeah, you're ready. I mean, you've got the scene down. You're all set. You, nothing's going to stop you. That's debatable. Until, but keep going <laughs> until uh, Tom Straw, boy producer, says, hey, you went to college with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly your face like blanches. He's got the story like, correct. Yeah. And it's like, I think I, I think I killed your mojo. <laughs> I, I think I found the way to pull the rug out from under Tim stack. And that's how we met. And let me tell you why you didn't pull the rug out, but why my face would have been that. Cause there are so many, cause uh, my younger years were so <laughs> insane. And when I hear, and it's happened another thing where, with the Fairley brothers, I had a meeting and they were like, hey, my sister was in your class at Boston College. And it was like, suddenly, and I'm thinking the same thing. Did I sleep with this person? So, yes. <laughs> no, I did not. Tom's yes. wife, the same thing with the Fairley sister. But that's my yes. first, like, guilty Catholic boy. That's the first thing that goes in my brain is, is uh, oh, what did I do wrong? What, did, what happened? What did I do? Yeah. And uh, I don't think I was right I, for that part anyway. But uh, you were just a big man on campus. You know, what are you going to do? <laughs> anyway, you were the Parker Lewis of uh, Boston College. I got a little bit, maybe. Um, so then then that college, the, the Boston College thing, we then met again when I did guest, guest shots on Night Court. Numerous guest shots because you were so good and scored. Yes. Yeah. Can I say that? Yeah. And 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 it was just such a fun place to work. I know there were dynamics on that show that I was not privy to on the on the set because I just always seemed to get along with everybody or or try to get along with everybody. But 
but it was a really funny, funny show. So we've jumped ahead. So start from the beginning. Start with, because I think the first thing you got started with and you were going to make a career of it was radio. I, I, I did think I was going to make a career of that. And, you know, uh, what I always wanted to do, I wanted to be Johnny Carson. Yeah. You know, I wanted to I wanted to do a late night talk show and be the guy who comes out and, you know, makes everyone laugh. And I know you've been told this before, but there is a Dick Cavett cadence to your voice. It's it's it. I get it a lot. Um, in fact, when I was in high school, uh, John Volstad, who was Daryl number two on Newhart uh-huh. way, in later years, he and I went to high school together and uh, he was sick, you know, with something. I don't know. I won't I won't even try to think of what it would be. But uh, he comes back to school one day and he says, you know, I was watching. There's a show on uh, uh, Channel 7 during the day and there's a host on it and he sounds just like you. And it, I guess Cabot had a daytime show before his uh, nighttime stuff. I don't remember the daytime show. Yeah. Well, because you were a good student. That's why you were. No. If, you were <laughs> You were hewing to your books. If I was <laughs> sick at home, I wasn't watching that. I was like. <laughs> yeah, that's great. But um, yeah, so, so I wanted to be an entertainer, you know, in, in that. And, and I listened religiously uh, to L.A. radio, particularly Gary Owens. Yes, I knew I knew you had a connection to Gary Owens, the laughing announcer for those who were in their 90s. He was if you ever watch laugh in which is still shown here and there, I guess he was the announcer with a very the word is stentorian voice who would put his hand over his ear and say from beautiful downtown Burbank. This is Robin and Martin's laughing. Um, I listened to him religiously, uh, and so I had a voca- high school vocation class, and they said, would you please interview somebody in the field you want to go into? So I screwed up my courage one day, and I, during a news break at KMPC where he worked, I dialed the switchboard and asked for Gary Owens <laughs> in my high-pitched voice. Yeah. And they put me through to his office, and he picked up the phone. Hello. And- Hello. And I said, Mr. Owens. (laughs) And I introduced myself. I told him very quickly because I knew it was a news break uh, what my story was. I said, I'd love to ask you some questions. He goes, well, Tom, I don't have any time now. I said, well, I didn't think you would. He says, but I'll tell you what. This was a Tuesday, right? He says, why don't you come down to the radio station on Thursday and you can watch me do my show? I thought, what a nice guy. So. (laughs) Uh Oh, uh, yeah. Is there an uh oh coming? No. So I couldn't even I didn't my I wasn't driving yet. My brother had to drive me. So we both go there. But he couldn't have been more gracious. I watched him do the show from the other side of the glass. He took us out to like the Copper Penny or whatever it was called on Sunset Boulevard for uh, a rather bad dinner afterward. But we then became very good friends to the point that which is very ironic. Ten years later, I come back to KMPC as the program director and he's working for me. Wow. And we had a ball. That's we that's crazy. I had forgotten you became a program director. So then we 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 got we're moving quickly towards our first break. But but so then what what got you writing half hour comedies? Um, my aforementioned friend Ken Levine, who was yes. a disc jockey I worked with, uh, he uh, we all got fired a week before Christmas at a radio <laughs> station in San Diego, which is I guess very typical of radio, right? Oh, yeah. Which is why I, I I'm here, the, Jeremiah. 
I was I was the program director and the general manager calls me into his office and he says, hey, buddy, I just want to let you know uh, we're changing format to uh, modern gospel. <laughs> and, and we were like a top 40 rock station. And I said, oh, really? And I said, well, when's this going to happen? And I swear to God, he pulled back his sleeve and looked at his watch. Just goes, about now. <laughs> when do you think's a good time? <laughs> so Ken Levine and I got blown out. Ken right. ended up saying the heck with it. He and his uh, army buddy, David Isaac, started writing spec scripts. They ended up getting gigs. They did MASH. They did Cheers. They did a number of shows. But they got me my first job on after MASH. Yes. Okay. We can talk a little bit. I did a couple of episodes of that of that show. That was one of those where they they liked me a lot. They came in and said, and I think it was those guys, came and said, hey, we want to make you a regular. It was like, fantastic. And the next day, the show was canceled. So and The day after my episode aired. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't think it had anything to do with that. I remember that being a very expensive show. There were a lot yeah. of... Uh, yeah. It was uh, MASH without any of the humor. <laughs> yes. Which is after MASH. There's no... Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. We're going to go... I, I, I do want to get into a little bit more of the radio, because you were all so in Philadelphia, WYSP. Yeah. So oh, I want to do a little bit of that. We're going to take our first break. Uh, I want to plug... I want to plug Tom. That sounds... No, we... Well, let's say that. <laughs> <laughs> How old is that joke? Um, you can find Tom on Twitter at one Tom Straw, and there are always great pics of his home. He's up in the attic, apparently, so that's a green screen. <laughs> but normally, he has a wonderful view of the Long Island Sound from his from his domain, and yes. and there's always pictures involving weather, which I like. I think that's. Uh, that's I was a weatherman. There that's you right. go. I didn't even yeah. know that. Yeah. Um. But more importantly, you can buy his books, you know, he uh, under the name of Richard Castle. So the Nikki Heat books, but also his book uh, uh, Buzz Trigger episode and Buzz Killer that are both original Tom Straw books. And uh, anyway, you can buy them on your local bookstore, which is Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Uh, we're going to take our break. You're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. And we'll be right back. Everybody, it's Tim Stack from It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack asking you to watch the show Sprung on Freevee, Amazon's new free channel. I promise you it's funny, it's got heart, and my shoulder appears in episode three. Hi, this is Dennis Miller. I'm here to promote nothing. Tim's a good friend, and I enjoy his company. That's why I'm here. Tim, who you say? Tim Stack. It's radio with the TV guy, Tim Stack. (laughs) 
back. You're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. My guest is the prolific and old friend, prolific writer and old friend, Tom Straw. Um, so I, I just played the Night Court thing. I do want to go back to Parker Lewis for a second, which was the first song we played, uh, because yep. Tom is the reason I got that show, Parker Lewis Can't Lose, and which was the easiest job I've ever had. And it was really super fun. And it enabled, the job was so easy. And I got paid good money because I was a series regular, but I only worked one day a week. Like I would show up and, and we'll talk about the show in a second, but you know, I might say like, Hey, Parker, time for dinner. And that was my day for the week. I'm, you know, but it it all involved (laughs) crazy camera angles and things moving and you know, yeah. but hey, Parker, time for dinner. Yeah, you know, and I would drive home. I, that enabled me to move my family to Santa Barbara because I said to my wife, it's never going to. That's one thing I did know. It's never going to be like this again, <laughs> like this yeah. easy and lucrative at the same time. So we got to go. So I have always thanked uh, Tom Straw for getting me uh, Parker Lewis. Can't lose. Um, you know, we had this great part of Parker's dad. And, you know, we were we had the part we wrote it and all that. And we were sitting around and I, I, I remember very clearly thinking to myself, why are we even auditioning? Get me Tim Stack or get me the new Tim Stack. <laughs> yes. And uh, and then I said, well, where are the new Tim Stacks coming from? <laughs> and where can the new Tim Stacks go and fail and learn their trade? Parker Lewis can't lose. Parker Lewis can't lose. <laughs> Seriously, though, I mean, it was like to me a no brainer and you sure delivered. Uh, it was such a great show, and we were sorry to you leave. I I completely understand why you did leave. That's yeah, a different discussion. Uh, but, uh, you know, because quite honestly, the show was never as good without you. It just wasn't. It was good, but it just was not as good. It really, uh, really hit everything that first season. Um, but uh, um, so how did you get that job, Parker Lewis? Um, just a normal see. like they were looking for somebody to come in and help yeah i after night court um and i was offered uh to be to take over the show um and i with reinhold wiggy who created it said all this can be yours and i i really uh, even though i loved night court i i i, I didn't want to become like the night court guy only I, there you know right i'm diverse i don't know if you knew that or not i'm diverse in my interests. i said that in the intro yes oh there it is that's i knew i'd heard it somewhere <laughs> so um i had decided that i wanted to do other things and at the, i got an offer to work at castle rock which was uh you know they made pilots they made yes. a little show called seinfeld which i thought that's never gonna go <laughs> never gonna work <laughs> <laughs> so anyway i was a, i did pilots i did in two years i did four pilots at uh, castle rock and uh one of them can i just talk about one of them because it was just so brilliant i forget the name of it whatever you had but if you are waiting for guffman chris guest fans oh. tom was going to do a an anthology show using the guffman mockumentary format right and what was it called again what was yours called it was called American Tableau. American Tableau. And the, the pilot was this weird, you know, trailer family that won a lottery ticket. And then you see what happens to them. And it was really. But you had uh, you had Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy, I believe. Uh, no, actually, right, well, here's who we had. We had as the host, 
the the sort of Charles Kuralt looking for America kind yes. of guy, uh, Fred Willard. Yes. Uh, and then we had Chris Guest, and we had Catherine O'Hara, and we had Bruno Kirby. That's right. And oh my God, it was all the Spinal Tap people. And, yeah. and Chris Guest smoked a pipe, didn't he? In that, he, yeah. He, he, and he also did a funny thing. He he um, he had a beard when we cast him, but he showed up the day of the shoot. He shaved off his mustache, so he had like a C. Everett Coop look. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, interesting thing about Chris, who I loved working with, he's brilliant. Uh, he's, he said to me the day before, he says, now, I want to warn you that when I'm on set, I do assume the character totally. So don't worry about anything I say to you tomorrow. <laughs> and it was true. I mean, he was the guy all day long. And That's it was interesting. Great. Does he yeah. do Do you think he does the same on his movies? I, I'm sure he does. Wow. I'm absolutely certain of it. Because that's his method. Yeah. And it works. You can't deny it. So anyway, I did the pilots at Castle Rock two years. Uh, none of them went. And so they they sort of urged me to go <laughs> so, <laughs> in, a, in the nicest way. Yeah. They said, it wasn't like KMPCC or whatever that radio station was. Yeah, right. Here's the door. Use it. <laughs> um, so uh, my agent set me up with a meeting with uh, Clyde Phillips and Lon Diamond, who had just created Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Clyde, sim uh, simultaneous with that, had a uh, show that he just sold to ABC, a one-hour drama starring the late Treat Williams, uh, which was a legal drama. Uh -huh. And he determined, or the network determined, that he couldn't do both shows at once. And so I was brought in to run Parker Lewis while he attended Eddie Dodd, which was the name of that other show and um i so forgot that's I that that he wasn't there as much that right first season but uh you know that was such a fun show to do it, you know aside from having you there all the time and uh, or at least to say there's dinner ready um <laughs> the uh, <laughs> was it, it was just one of those shows a lot like night court in that whatever you thought about you could put on camera you know yeah. you, you play games with yourself you see a bumper sticker driving to work and you say how can i work that into the show today the other fun thing about writing that show, and I should say that I just discovered the show is now on on YouTube on something called Throwback TV. I'm oh. sure you and I will make between three and four cents a year <laughs> yes. on yeah. the reruns, but it's I just watched some the other night, and that show 100% holds up, still really funny. What I was going to say was part of the writing process on that show took place after the show was shot, because that at that point, the sound effects come in. If somebody has some crazy idea, they could go that could some cutaway that could be added. They would go shoot it and add it in. So it seemed like I was just an actor on it, but it seemed like from a writing standpoint, it was a very fun show to work on. We also did a lot of voiceover. It was totally vo narrated by uh, Parker Lewis. Yes. Corin Nemec, yeah. who's been on yes. the show. He was nice. Yes. Enough to come on. Um and so we we would frequently rewrite the voiceover to put Stranger Things in there and all that. Yes. Uh, so yeah, we had some of that on My Name is Earl. That was a lot of for time, though, too. Like, we had yeah. the changed uh, voiceovers for time. And we would have, on Earl, we'd have a voiceover room, and we'd go up and write three alts, and then Greg Garcia. Yeah, so you'd choose. go to the unit production manager, and you'd say, hey, you know that scene that we shot that we spent about uh, $52,000 uh, <laughs> setting up and writing? Yeah. We decided it's too long, and we can cover it in 10 seconds of voiceover. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Yeah, that's another show. I think that show got very expensive because 
it became in a way and more so after you left like a director's medium like it was mm-hmm. just about the directing like yeah yeah the script's okay the actors okay it's really about what these directors can do crazy stuff with the camera 360 moves and and uh just crazy dolly moves and they all take time and it costs money and those guys we loved are- it Tim, I'm I'm about character when I write. I yeah. do a lot of action, and you know I'm writing legal dramas, and I'm writing a spy book that's coming out in the spring, or I've written it. It's sold and coming out in the spring. But um, you know, to me, my favorite Parker Lewis episode was Deja Dudes, which yes. I'm sure you remember. And the reason I loved it so much is that it was taking the three buddies and par- doing this sort of parallel life at the school reunion with the three dads. Yes. And to me, that just developed so much character for you, as opposed to we were joking about the, hey, dinner's ready. I mean, it gave you, you know, flesh and blood. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's a a particularly good episode. But I promise anybody listening, go on YouTube now. It's free. Uh, You can watch Parker Lewis Can't Lose episodes. And, you know, you watch one and you go to the next one. It's just it's a great way to kill uh, 22 minutes. Um, 2230, I believe. Sorry, that's... uh, um so now uh, we're coming up on another segment i want to let's just talk some more about your tv stuff because then you got into late night tv you have this great career and then you start working with craig ferguson and late night tv is its own separate genre so again you're reinventing yourself you know it's true Uh, the you know i've done a number of shows you know and you talked about them in my introduction some of which aren't such good credits anymore one in particular uh but um with america's dad but yeah but you um, worked on you were let me just tell you worked on cosby i guess we could talk yeah we won't talk about him uh grace under fire i know you had a weird experience there which we don't have to talk about but but it was a successful show uh dave's world with harry anderson again another really good show ran um wild oats who's the actor in wild oats well the lead was tim conlon uh but the second banana yeah um what's his name he's ant-man yes ant-man i'm blanking on his name paul is it paul we'll look it up during the break i'm I'm paul yeah paul Paul rudd Rudd. paul rudd yes i believe the name you're looking for he's another guy who'll never work again he's the second banana guy and you know he was so phenomenal yeah he was great yeah i remember when you did that in fact you got my nephew a a pa job on that and uh right he knew enough to get out of show business after one experience (laughs) and and and, you know i regret it every day i hired him (laughs) no um yeah but another show good and evil with terry gar and i forget the other one margaret some margaret witten yes great great show they uh, had it on Marianne at ten thirty at night it was just like why are you doing this well that's kind of why it failed uh you know it was yeah. a tr- an experiment abc wanted to experiment with doing half hour comedy at ten thirty at night yeah it didn't work and, and they, the audience is you know people are habitual they yeah didn't want it. that's a show which would weirdly work in today's market because in a streaming world, people can go watch that show. You know, you could have added a serialized element to the whole thing. You sort of had it a little bit, and yep. certainly with the characters. And that's a show that would work. But back in those days, ten thirty at night, no, 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 we're on to uh, Nightline or some drama. That's what people wanted to watch then. And it had a great pedigree to give credit where credit's due. Susan Harris, who created Soap and Golden Girls, and you know, numerous other, you know. Uh, empty nest and so forth uh, she was the creator of good and evil 
Um, anyway, just a great, great career, which we're going to continue talking about on the other side of this break. Uh, and we're going to talk about his whole writing career, which is actual writing, not like TV coming up with jokes in the room, which is what I like. Um, I'm talking to Tom Straw, great writer, old friend, and you are listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. It's Steve Starkey, and I'm here promoting my recent publication, Breaking and Entering. I wrote this uh, after producing a number of films with Robert Zemeckis, including Castaway and Forrest Gump and a number of others. But in any case, I'm happy to be here on It's Radio with TV's Stim Stack. Okay, welcome back to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. I'm talking to Tom Straw. That was the theme song to the, uh, my DJ, that was the theme song to uh, the TV show Castle. And I didn't watch that show much, but that's a really good theme song. I like that. I like that tune. But, but I want to get into Tom's writing of books because, again, after this long, prolific career in radio and then tv and then late night tv which again is is its own animal you start writing books and i'm guessing and one of the books he wrote he wrote a whole series of nikki heat books under the name of richard castle which was the basis the, the tv show and then they released these books and they needed richard castle to write the books but they got tom straw to write under the name of richard castle so Talk first about that, and then we'll get into how you got started writing. Sure. Uh, first, I'll just say it in a sentence. I, in spite of all my TV writing and my Johnny Carson dreams, I always wanted to be a novelist. I always wanted to write books all my life. Um, Did you think so, you couldn't make a living at it? Uh, I, I just didn't see myself as one of those people, uh -huh. you know, who, who did that, you know. Um, so there was a period where after uh, I did Cosby, um, I had a fair amount of change and I said, I'm not going to work for a while. I'm going to write a book. And that's what I did. Um, and uh, I got it published. And that was um, that was trigger episode. That was the trigger episode, which is a great which, book. You can buy it online. It's a great book, which is a, the interesting world of paparazzis. And, and, yeah, you, and you have a wonderful character in that book. Who's was it? Anyway, you explain it. 
Well, I'll just say that um, it, it's a Romana clay, as we like to say in the world of books, about which means like uh, I just was kind of like making fiction of a true experience on Grace Under Fire. And so the premise of the book simply was that the uh, star, a controversial star of a sitcom, a hit sitcom, uh, has disappeared before the 100th episode of the show, which is the, here's the title, the trigger episode for all the profits in syndication. So the studio hires the per person they hate the most, a paparazzo, because he's always good at finding her, and he finds her, brings her back. Spoiler alert, uh, they shoot the episode and she's dead the next morning. It's really, so, a really, really yeah. a fun book. It's great. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, fun. It, it captures the, like, seedy Hollywood. It gets in the TV. She's a great character. But, but and I, this is the compliment I sort of wanted to give you as a, as a mystery crime writer, is, in my opinion, Tom writes, like Michael Conley does the Bosch things, Again, I hope I hope this is a compliment. You'll take it. It's Michael Conley. But if Michael Conley drank a little more, which I really like, drank a little <laughs> more coffee, like yeah. like there's just more punch to Tom's work. There's not you're not slowly moving pages. You're turning pages quickly. And so that's that's my take. Michael Conley on uh, Espresso. He's not going anywhere. That guy. <laughs> he's done he is so done he was um, done 40 books ago so to how to the castle books um the uh the publisher who published the trigger episode got bought by a german conglomerate who only wanted the nonfiction library in other words no more fiction books no more sequels my uh, editor and publisher who was the same person at that uh publishing company ends up going to Hyperion, which is ABC owned. Uh-huh. And uh he takes me to lunch one day and he says, Hey, you know, uh, there's a show coming on called Castle. And we had an idea that wouldn't it be fun to just as a kind of a lark to have have somebody write a book as Richard Castle. But it would be a ghost job. Would 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 you mind doing it? And um I said, Yeah. I will. I will do it because first of all, I like the editor and all that. But I, I thought I, you were going to say, "Yeah, I would mind." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and by the way, you're you're picking up the lunch check. Um, and the reason was uh, in the in the trigger episode, I had my paparazzo guy who was a bit of a rogue, and he was partnered romantically with a woman who was sort of like a Diane Sawyer. Uh huh. So, um, because she that, he had once been a big deal. Yes. Yeah, he was sort of modeled after David Hume Kennerly, if you know that name. I know the name. He was, he was a, a Pulitzer Prize winning Vietnam uh, photographer in his 20s and then became the White House photographer under Gerald Ford and so forth. Really, really a, a great guy. He actually technically advised me on, on, the, on, the, on the paparazzi part. Uh -huh. But um, anyway, the relationship that I had for the male and female in the Trigger episode translated, my editor thought, beautifully to the castle relationship uh -huh. between the two of them. So the idea was to only write one book. It's just going to be like a quick and dirty, get it out there, promotional item, paper straight to paperback. Right. Uh, lo and behold, it goes to number six on the New York Times. <laughs> and suddenly my contract for one book became a contract for two more. Yeah. 
And the second one went to number four in the New York Times. The third one debuted at number one on the New York Times. Yeah. Certainly they're I've got really fun books. They're just, they're fun. They're super fun. They're, and they were fun to write. And, and to give <laughs> you a little insight here, Tim, into the crazy world of entertainment, I was working as a writer on The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson and operating the robot sidekick during the show. <laughs> I do it all. Yeah. I also drive the bus. Um, but what I would do is I'd, I'd show up at 10 a.m. to write all day with Craig and the other writers. And we do the monologue, shoot the show, do the uh, Jeffrey, uh, the, the, the robot skeleton sidekick. Six o'clock, we're wrapped. I get in the car. I have dinner. I go home. And I start writing castle books till 2 a.m. Wow. Go to bed, get up, recycle, redo it all. Yeah. But they were fun to write. I loved writing them. And, you know, there's nothing in the world like writing knowing you're going to be published. You know, it just is like, this is actually going to get read. Right. It's like making a movie that you know is going to get aired. And yeah. Yeah. So I ended, I did the first seven of them. And uh, that, that, that was enough. And uh, I'm not sure that the other, they did three more. I don't think they went New York Times. You know, I don't say that as sour grapes. I just, I always try to make sure people know that where I stopped because the, I get email about the other books that people get mad and, about what they read. And just to entice the people who might buy them, these were not novelizations of episodes. These were original right. stories that you came up with. Andrew Marlowe, who created the show, he and I were still good friends. I don't know why. But um, <laughs> w the first time we met and discussed doing this and agreed that we would do it, the idea was I didn't want to novelize the show because I didn't want to take somebody else's story and... Yeah. You know, type it longhand. So um, what we came up with was I would write it as the idealized, as Richard Castle's idealized version of what happened in the show, where he was always the hero, where everything always went his way. Right. Um, and so what I would do is I would take my own stories and I would talk to Andrew about them and say, yeah, let's do that. And what I would do is I would seed in little Easter eggs in the books that would connect with people who had seen the show and loved it so that a certain scene would have a certain character in it yeah. that would say, oh, I know who that is. If you hadn't seen the show, you could still read the book and it wouldn't hurt. But if you saw the show and loved it, you'd say, oh, my God, there's that. Oh, yeah, that's I get that. Yeah. So, But back to Michael Conley, that's sort of what's going on with Bosch now, where he's mm -hmm. taking old you know, stories from his books and making them into the TV show. It's sort of reverse order, but it's, uh, that's what's being done. My Michael Connolly story. Yeah. I met him one time. Uh, Craig Ferguson had a book come out, his first book, and we were at the book launch party at uh, William Morris Endeavor. And it was pretty crowded. There's a lot of luminaries there and Craig. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> we're still buddies. Yeah, um, I know you are. Yes. But, but Michael Conley is there. Yeah. And I end up like standing next to him and I think, oh, my God, it's Michael Conley. You know, I read The Poet. and I read all these books. And yeah. so I introduced myself. I said, hi, I write for Craig. And I, I also uh, I'm the author of the, the Richard Castle book. And he looked at me and he goes, how did you get that? Really? <laughs> yes. And I don't think he meant it the way I took it. Yeah, but it, but but it's almost like the curse word in the middle was left out. You know, you know how the did you get that? Wow. <laughs> yeah, and that was the end of the conversation. No, no, we talked a little bit oh, okay, more, but good. it was just it was just one of those things that kind of went to my heart a little bit. Like, oh, Michael Connolly, I think dissed me a little bit yeah. there. <laughs>
Wow. Uh, I love his writing, by the way, and I think he's great. Yeah, he really, and just continues to be prolific. I wonder if it's like James Michener where he's got people working for him. Because there's no, just I, so much I, stuff coming out. I think he does it. He's he's a supremely talented guy, yeah. even though he dissed me. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tweet about that later on today. Yeah. I don't think he meant it that way, by the way. I just sort of took it that way. I put the underline <laughs> under, how did you get that? <laughs> As we tend to do in this insecure world of show business. Um, so, uh, so, but talk more about the writing because uh, you write another book, uh, Buzzkiller. Again, super fun. Definitely uh, Conley on extra, extra coffee, in my opinion. Yes. Again, just really great. So talk about that because you can also buy this book. Yeah. Online. After Seven Castle books, I wanted to do something castle-like. But I didn't want to do uh, something that would be perceived as ripping off Castle. Uh -huh. And my desire was, and it also went to some sort of social justice things that I had in my in my head at the time. Um, I decided I instead of doing a police procedural, what I wanted to do was a mystery thriller that took place outside the yellow tape instead of inside it. Uh -huh. And so what I did is I created, again, a romantic couple i created a uh a, a woman who was a public defender uh in new york uh prosecute or, or defending a case defending a client and ends up paired up with uh a disgraced police guy who worked for the technical assistance response unit these are the people who do all the electronic stuff for the new york uh, police department great job um and and so that was the story i came up with there and i wanted to tell a story that was about all, how hard it is to free an innocent person. How the system is against people right. a lot. Not right. always, but frequently. Um, okay. Anyway, they're just, they're really, really good books. I want to talk, we're, we're coming up on our third break. I want to talk on the other side about, maybe we can talk about your new book a little bit. I don't want you to give away the premise because... If it's the one I think it is, it's just like, it it's one of the most brilliant premises ever. I, I think it's the, well, we'll talk about it on the other side. Um, I'm talking to Tom Straw, old friend, great writer, really just a diverse, I said it again, interesting career where all these things have been successful. You've done different things, which is not easy to do. Uh, but we're going to take a break. And we'll talk more to him, and you're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Tim Stack, and having been in show business for so long, I have a lot of really funny friends, and you can hear them all on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. That's part of the Jeremiah Show. So listen. This is Cora Nemec, and you are listening to It's Radio. TV's Tim Stack. My father. 
Hi, it's Tom Straw. I'm very happy to be here. I'm uh, promoting numerous things that are going on in my life. Uh, not only uh, a new book I have coming out very soon, but also my uh, agency in helping promote world peace for the next millennium. All of it is happening on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. He is described as the best-selling unknown author and the man behind the Castle TV show. Joining us this morning is Tom Straw. It's great to have you with us. It's nice to be here. Thank now, you've been writing as Richard Castle and, of course, is fond of TV series. Right. Actually, the TV series came first. Oh, the series the, came yeah, first. Okay. It was created by a guy named Andrew Marlowe, okay. not me. Yes, you were quick to jump in there and... Uh... <laughs> I would have taken credit for it all. Well, you know, you said. always give credit where it's due, and especially when you, you know what it's like when you work for people that you really love and respect. Yes. You don't want to steal anything from them. No, it's like when I, I've done it on Twitter, I'm just like Parker Lewis. It's like, yeah, don't thank me. Thank Tom Straw. Like, cause I would, well, I wouldn't do that. No, it's just, but it's really important. It's like. The show, uh, the show, I haven't plugged it yet today. I, I should plug uh, Sprung on Amazon that I worked on for Greg Garcia. I should also, Dr. D, thank you, our engineer, Jeremiah Higgins, who does the uh, all of this. I'm, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, uh, now I lost my train of thought because I went off. But Well, I'll, I'll pick up on it a little bit. Andrew yeah. Marlowe was a saint. You know, what, what I, what, the way we would work is this. Oh, giving kudos to people who deserve it. That's what we were talking I, about. I would come up with an idea for a plot for the book. And then I would present it to him. And, you know, he was a busy man, a lot of busy schedule, things like that. She's shooting, shooting the show is, a, is no small thing. Um, he, would, he was so receptive. I, I, I pitched him the first one at our first meeting, which was at a bar in Santa Monica. Uh, the next time when I was out there, I was doing Ferguson and he was doing his show for the second book. Naked Heat. Can I say that on the air here? It's uh, Naked yes. Heat. Oh, yeah. yeah. Say it a few times. Yeah, okay. Uh, he said to me, you know what? Um, I got season tickets to the Lakers. Why don't, why don't we go to the game tonight and you can tell me the story? So we're watching, we're watching the Lakers play. And I pitch him out the story. And he, you know, he always, had, always had good suggestions. He always help, would steer me from the shoals, as they say. He would say, don't go there. It's going to be you know shallow water. So... I finished the pitch, the game is over, the Lakers win, and all of the purple and gold confetti rains down in the Staples Center, which they don't call it anymore, I guess. No. And uh, he turned to me and he says, now that's a successful pitch. When have you ever seen a pitch end with confetti? <laughs> <laughs> and Castle meets the girl. <sighs> yeah. But, you know, that's what it was like working with him. Uh, it was he was always a supporter. And whenever he had a comment, like I would turn in the pages to him and to my editor, Gretchen Young, at, uh, who is a factor in my new book. She's my publisher now. Um, he would he would we would arrange a call. I'd send him half the book at a time. And uh, and in the right order, too, I might point out. Um, and we would have a phone call and we'd talk for an hour going through the first half of the book. One hour for the first half of the book. Because he would just turn pages, turn, this is good, this is fine, this is good. Oh, here. Uh-huh. Have you? And he always phrased it as a question. It's something I always take away. Have you wondered if maybe it might be better if you tried this? Yeah. Or he'd say, 
this didn't quite work for me, but here are two ideas I have. What do I you think? always tell young writers, like, it's one thing to say, ah, this didn't work for me, but have a have something in your holster to like pitch, like maybe this yeah. or maybe this. So you're not just disparaging what you've written. Right. So that's why I want to credit this guy, because, um, yes, I wrote the books and I and I, 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 I substantively wrote the books, not just kind of. But at every turn, he was always there to guide me in a very generous way. And I will say flat out that it was of all the things I've done in writing. It was the best relationship I've ever had with a collaborator. Wow, that's great. That's really wonderful. Yeah. So I, I do want to go back. You mentioned your now publisher, but when you set out back in 2007 to write the trigger trigger episode, and like, how did you go about selling that? I had an agent that helped. So you so. used the agent at your theatrical agency. Right. Uh, I was at that time, I was with a group called the ICM and uh, my TV agent said, you know, I said, I, I have a book I'm writing, you know, and she said, well, when you're in New York, why don't you go see Sloan Harris? Right. And you're making money for them. So they're going to you're going to get that meeting. Yeah. And I got the meeting. I got the agent and he sold the book. Wow. Just that please easy. Don't hate me. Writers, please don't hate me. <laughs> <laughs> because I was thinking, like, it, it it's probably harder than breaking into TV is like selling a book because there are just so many books. Yeah, I, I don't know that it's harder, but it's hard. Yeah. And, um, it, it you know, I, that's the thing, you know, when you talk about all the things I've done, I've always had at the right time, there's always been an angel there. You know what I mean? There's always been somebody who extends a hand and, right. and i've i carry that with me now that's you know i've always been respectful and and uh, joyful about the fact that i've had help and i try to offer it when i can although sometimes i like to sneer and laugh and say no way uh <laughs> <laughs> don't bother me um yeah. so can we talk about your new book at all coming out because let me just say if it's the one i i started reading a book and then yeah. i got waylaid and then you said don't worry because i'm making the character i'm making this book first person now right yes is that it, is the same book okay i made i made it first person and it suddenly sold really and, and correct I, me if i'm wrong this is like the worst interview because we're never going to give away the premise because i don't i really don't want to give away the premise it's yeah, so it, unbelievable and you originally no. thought of it as a tv project right I did. And and then I realized that, well, this could be both. And so um, um, I wrote, I, you know, here's, it's not, talk about how hard it is. I mean, I'm a seven-time New York Times bestseller of pedigree and all these right. things. Um, I couldn't get anybody to buy the first uh, attempt at this book. And there's a, two ways to go about this. There's the sort of like, you know, the heck with them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're talking about. Or there's, I love this idea so much, and ideas like this don't come along very often. I am going to step back, and I'm going to totally retool this book and make it work. Right. And so what I did is I recognized that the parts of the book that people really did respond to were very personality things from the main character. And so I thought, well, first person. I got to put this in the first person. Let right. them hear his voice. Yeah. Um. And, and then Gretchen Young. And it who, makes sense, too, with who the character is, because oh, yeah. his voice is part of his 
who he is. Yeah, so I, I would say this much about it. It's a spy thriller with a very, very, very castle feel. Uh-huh. Um, but it does have a premise that's like one of those that you, you it's like one of those you just, I was on a run and it hit my head and I thought, oh, I, I got to keep remembering that I got to repeat the premise in my head all the way home. I can't forget, I forget this, this by the time I get home. That's funny. Yeah. But my, uh, uh, it was, it was sold to the, uh, the woman who was my, uh, Richard Castle editor at Hyperion, who now has her own imprint. She's my publisher now, not just wow. my editor. And uh, it'll be out in mid-May, May 14th, distributed through Simon & Schuster. I mean, it's a real, you know, deal. Right. And... Um, uh, Is there a title for the book yet? It wouldn't make Don't sense. Don't give it away. I'll, okay, I'm going to hold all that. Okay. Uh, I, I'll tell you later, and I'll show you the cover. I have a cover that... Oh, comes, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, I hate to tease the audience. No, you know, I'm, I'm telling you because you don't want to give away the premise. Because when you told it to me, it's just like, oh, my... How that's just genius. Anyway, it, it really is. It's just like, and it's anyway, when the book comes out, you'll realize what I'm talking about. Cause it's like, it was sitting in front of us all this time and nobody yeah. thought of it. And it's just really, really good. It's not even published yet, but I'm, I'm halfway through the sequel writing that. So I totally I'm, I'm believe it. It'll, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, you could have a castle on your hands where this goes to TV and it's, it would make perfect sense. Yeah, it so. would. I think. Uh, I'm getting the hand signal from Dr. D, which apparently this means wrap it up oh. in radio. In radio, that's what that means. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought it meant like, give me a half a sandwich. <laughs> um, Tom, thank you so much for doing this. I, I want to thank you for having me on. It's uh, You know, I, I'm a big fan of yours. I, and We're fans of each to, other. I know that. We to, to be able to sit here and just kind of have some fun with you and to know your rhythms and to see what makes you laugh and what, make, what, and what doesn't is a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, my best to you, your family, and um, we'll talk again. We'll talk off the air. But um, uh, again... Read Tom Straw's stuff, and he's on Twitter, and he's on Instagram. I think you're on Facebook. I'm not on any Facebook. I am. I'm, all, I'm on all these social media things. Yeah, and, and again, you yeah. follow him on Twitter. It's it's fun photographs, and, and, and he travels a lot, and you'll see him in England, and uh, it's uh, and he, it's good stuff. And, and I just wish him all the success with this new book because it's going to be great. So. Oh, and you know where else I am? Where? I'm on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. <laughs> what? You booked that? Nobody gets that. Uh, Tom, I'll see you next time. Jeremiah, thank you. Dr. D, thank you. Watch Sprung on Amazon. And uh, we'll see you and hear you next time on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. As always, a big thanks to our station manager, Les Carroll, for letting us on the air at all. Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at jeremiah at thejeremiahshow.com or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.